Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, and for those of you watching online and at Rossville, thank you so much for joining in today as well. I know many of our people are traveling today, spring break weekend, and so uh, thank you for watching wherever you are. Luke chapter 19, I'm kind of just preaching a sermon today, no series. It's the week before Easter. It's the triumphal entry is what I want to read about today as we find it in our, our Bibles, uh, Palm Sunday. And so I want to I talk about that just kind of a little bit today as we prepare for this Easter season. And I want to preach on this, this subject, In the Shadow of the Cross. It was May, 1988, May 1883 on the island of Krakatoa in Indonesia that steam and smoke begin venting out of what were, what were multiple cones, at least four, but out of the northernmost cone, a few minor explosions were reported, as well as a tidal wave in the Indian Ocean. It started that May, 1883. But in June, a huge massive eruption took place, and it blew smoke into the air for almost a week. But by the beginning of August, smoke steadily were exiting from three volcanoes on the island of Krakatoa, and they said, history tells us that the air was constantly filled with ash and smoke was constantly on the island. But it was about 2 p.m. on August 26, 1883, that the volcano released a, a solid cloud of ash that went 17 miles into the air. And then after that, it was continuous eruptions every, every 10 minutes, history tells us. By the next morning, the eruptions had gathered more momentum and culminated in four enormous eruptions. It was the third eruptions from the uh, cone called Krakatoa that was the most catastrophic. At 10.02 a.m. on August 22nd, 27th, Krakatoa erupted with the sound that is to date, this is what fascinates me, a sound that is to date the loudest sound ever recorded on planet Earth, 310 decibels. Now, let me put that in a little bit of reference. For reference, the sound from the atomic bombs was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The sound of an atomic bomb was 248 decibels. Experts believe that anyone standing within 10 miles of the explosion, 10 miles, would have been rendered instantly deaf. The sound was so loud that it was heard by residents of Perth, Australia, get this, 1,900 miles away. Residents reported on the island of Rodriguez that was 3,000 miles away, and this, this blows my mind, that was sound was so loud, the shockwave was recorded moving around the globe, and it didn't circle the globe once, it didn't circle the globe twice. The shockwave circled the globe three times before it petered out. 
The force of the blast was so great that an island 10 miles away from the volcano, less than 10 miles away from the volcano, was wiped out of all life. Thousands of people died instantly from the sound of the shockwave less than 10 miles away. The energy released from the Krakatoa eruption has been estimated to be equal that to 200 megatons of TNT. To put that in perspective, the largest bomb ever detonated in a practice session was called the Tsar bomb, and it was 57 megatons. Less than 30 minutes after the volcano eruption happened, only a third of the island of Krakatoa remained above water. The rest had slid into the ocean and disappeared. It set off tsunamis that were 98 feet high. And two days later, there were just a few people who were left alive. History tells us that 120,000, up to 120,000 people died from that singular eruption. Why tell us that story? There's an artist's rendering of the volcano from 1883. Why tell you that story? I first saw that story when I heard and I saw a headline that said, the loudest sound ever recorded in human history. It said that the eruption of Krakatoa was an explosion that altered the landscape of history for a huge percentage of the world. One explosion, one volcano, one sound altered the history of the world and effective, affected hundreds of thousands, if not more people. And I tell you that whole story to tell you this. I was reading about the cross of Jesus Christ, the greatest thing that ever event that ever happened in human history. And I, I, I stumbled upon this story of Krakatoa, this loudest sound that ever happened, this most enormous explosion that has ever happened on the face of the planet Earth, and yet most of us have never heard of it. Because it pales in comparison to what's going to happen in Jerusalem just a few days from Luke chapter 19. We, we, don't, we don't hear about Krakatoa anymore. It's over 140 years ago nearly. But we still hear about the cross of Jesus. Why? Because it was a greater, more significant event than even a volcano that was circled the globe three times. How? Because the cross is still circling the globe today. When we read our Bibles in just a minute, Luke chapter 19, we are just a few days away from that most significant event in human history. It's the event where Jesus is going to give his life on the cross. 
It's the event where Jesus is going to die for the sins of the whole world. It's the event where Jesus is going to forgive a race that has not even asked for forgiveness. It is the event that is going to change the course of eternity. It is the event that he will give his life as the Son of God and the Lamb of God, and it becomes the most significant event in human history. The sight and the sound of the cross will be felt around the world throughout all of time in all of eternity. But in Luke chapter 19, we are but in the shadow of the cross. It's coming, but we haven't seen it yet. It's something we call the triumphal entry. Your Bible probably has it labeled as the triumphal entry. It's where Jesus rides a donkey into Jerusalem. It's as Jesus approaches and enters Jerusalem, crowds and and the disciples are spreading out their cloaks and their palm branches on the road as as he marches into Jerusalem. People shout praises and blessings. They are embracing him as the soon coming king. There are many reasons the triumphal entry of Jesus is important. It served as the fulfillment of prophecy, the recognition of his role, the prepared the way for the events leading up to his death and resurrection that'll just be in a moment. And while we are here a week away in the shadow of the cross, that is the largest, most important event, the loudest event in human history. There's a few things I want us to learn from Jesus because Jesus was teaching up to the very end. Can I tell you this today, and and, and I hope you agree with me, that your salvation, my salvation, is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. Can I hear an amen from that? Greatest thing. Even if you don't realize it today, one day you will. This week I was, I was praying with my Bible, and I, I, have a, I have my prayer list, and I always end my prayer time with thanksgiving. And I've got some things pre-written down, uh, 10 or 15 things I always thank the Lord for, and, and then I just run through my days and weeks and that kind of thing. And I have all my pre-written things to thank the Lord for saving me. I do that every single day. And I was looking at the day, uh, that one day this week, and sometimes I feel so inadequate as expressing thanks to a God who saved me. Because here's what I know. I don't understand my salvation enough even to offer thanksgiving. I don't. But we will one day. One day when we step out of this world into heaven and we see what Jesus has really done for us, we'll understand that God saving us was the most important Thing that ever happened in our lives and it's not just fire insurance and do what you want right too many Christians treat their salvation like fire insurance and do what you want and in the shadow of the cross there there are a few other things God wanted us to know about his plan so would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it if you're watching online or you don't have a Bible it'll be up on the screens for you to follow along Luke chapter 19 we're going to read a little bit of scripture but look with me if you will begin in verse 28 and uh, when he had said these things he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem and as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you'll find a young donkey tied there in which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you 
Why are you untying this? Say the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. And as he approached the city, he wept for it, saying, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst, because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. He went into the temple and began to throw out those who were selling And he said, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And every day he was in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people were looking for a way to kill him. But they could not find a way to do it because all the people were captivated by what they heard. Thank you. You may be seated. So with this picture in mind that we're about to enter the the see or witness uh this coming weekend we'll friday talk about the cross and saturday and sunday we'll talk about the resurrection we're about to enter the celebration of the greatest events in human history we're a week removed from that now let me tell you some things that jesus was trying to tell us knowing our salvation is the greatest thing that ever happened to us but knowing also that he did not mean for us to use it as fire insurance and then do whatever you want that god saved us for a very specific purpose and here in the shadow of the cross he kind of leads us along as an example to tell us what he wants us to be and know. So here there are four things I want you to know this morning. Number one, that you have a part in his plan. It's such an interesting story where Jesus sends two unnamed disciples on a mission. He said, go into a neighboring village and find a donkey no one has ridden and bring it to me. And he said, now if someone were to ask you, what are you doing with the donkey? You say this, the Lord needs it. Which, I don't know about you, if I'm one of the two unnamed disciples, that might make me a little nervous, right? You say, why are you stealing my donkey? Jesus needs it? Oh, well, go ahead and take it. That's fine. I don't think that would work today, you know, if you went into Publix and just grabbed a shelf full of stuff and put it in a buggy and tried to walk out the door and somebody said, hey, what are you doing with that? And you said, Jesus needs it? Oh, fine. You just go ahead and take it. That wouldn't work today, but God had so orchestrated human events that that's exactly what happened. These two unnamed disciples did exactly that. It happened exactly the way Jesus predicted. Somebody said, where you going with that donkey? And they said, well, the Lord needs it. And they said, all right, you go ahead and take it. Why? Because God had so orchestrated, listen, that those two unnamed disciples had a part in this story. The owner of the donkey had a part in this story. And Jesus was going to ride on a donkey and have his kingship declared it'll be a moment remembered for all of time 
And in the story, we have several people operating. Unnamed disciples, maybe the owner of a donkey, and we can say even the donkey itself. I'm encouraged by the fact the donkey was involved because that lets me know I even have a part in the kingdom of God. That if God can use two unnamed disciples, the owner of a donkey, and a donkey, that God can include you and God can include me in his plan as well. Listen, I don't know how important you feel today. Maybe you don't feel very important at all. Maybe you don't feel very worthy at all. Maybe you don't feel like God has any use for you at all. But here's what I want you to know. God has a master plan that involves wrapping up this world and bringing as many Many people to heaven is what he possibly can. And here's the good news for all of us today. He has a part just for you to play. There'd be no part, point in saving you and setting you on the sidelines. And if you're here today, if you're watching today, and you know that you are a Christian, here's the good news that we learn a week before the crucifixion, a week before the resurrection. Here's the good news we learn, that God has a plan for your life, and God has a part for you to play. If he can use two unnamed disciples, if he can use a donkey owner, if he can use a donkey, trust me, he has a part for you to play in his kingdom. Have you ever wondered who invented the stop sign? I'd ask you to raise your hand, but I know none of you have ever wondered. I've wondered. A guy named William Phelps Eno, born in 1858, died in 1945, was an American businessman responsible for many of the earliest innovations in road safety and traffic control. He's sometimes known as the father of traffic safety. So look, he invented the stop sign, the pedestrian crosswalk, the traffic circle, or as I like to call it, the roundabout. Man, I love me a good roundabout, don't you? I love those things. And He invented the one-way street, the taxi stand, and pedestrian safety islands that are in the middle of the two directions. He was born where there really weren't any automobiles, but when when he was born, uh, there were horse-drawn carriages, and get this, horse-drawn carriages caused significant traffic jams. He was was born in New York, and he, he said this about his story. He said, when he was nine years old, he and his mom were caught in a horse-drawn carriage traffic jam, which I find funny, but there were no traffic laws whatsoever, so they were in downtown New York City, and here's what he said, that very first traffic jam many years before cars came into use will always remain in my memory there were only about a dozen horses and carriages involved and all that was needed was a little order to keep the traffic moving yet no one knew exactly what to do neither the drivers nor the police knew anything about the control of traffic so here he is he said i'm uh, i'm sitting here at nine years old and i'm in new york city and i'm watching about a dozen horses and carriages completely gridlocked completely shutting down new york city So he grew up and started inventing traffic laws for cars. The stop sign, the roundabout, all those things we use today, Eno invented. And there's one other interesting fact you need to know about him. That's not a mugshot. That, um, 
before he died, he was issued an honorary driver's license. Do you know why? He never learned to drive. This is the guy that invented all of our traffic laws that we still use today. But he was never involved in the very plan he put together. Never, ever got behind the wheel of a car. He invented a whole system that he never got involved in. Can I tell you, that's not the way Jesus operates. He invented a He came up with a whole system of salvation so that you can be saved. And he was so involved in it that he is about to give his life on the cross for that salvation that you and I have. He was about to rise again. And look, more than that, he gave you and I a part in his salvation system. He has a plan for you, and he has a job for you, and he has a word for you, and he has a work purpose for you. And we find out in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do, that God has good works for us to do. God has a good work for us, that in the shadow of the cross, I find out I have part in his plan. So let me ask you a question this morning. What are you doing knowing you have a part in his plan? Have you found your purpose for the kingdom? Are you living your purpose for the kingdom? Are you developing your purpose for the kingdom? Hey, look back in your Bibles and look at verse 32. I I love how it said here in the Christian Standard Bible. In verse 32, he said, So those who were sent, sent. I don't care how insignificant you may feel for the kingdom of God today. We learn on that story of the triumphal entry that, listen, we have all been sent for the glory in the kingdom of God. That's you, that's you, that's me, that's all of us. Discover what you ought to be doing today and get busy and do it with all of your heart. Second thing we learn from the triumphal entry is, number two, he is worthy of our worship. Jesus rode the donkey down the Mount of Olives path. They spread their clothes and palm branches in the way. It was was what we would call red carpet treatment today. We roll out red carpet. Theirs was they would take off their outer garments, throw them in the way to create a path, and they would lay down palm branches in the way. The crowds and the disciples, the Bible tells us, shouted triumphantly, joyfully, blessings, glory for Jesus. And the Pharisees, who were more concerned about religion than God, rebuked them for giving glory to him. And they rebuked Jesus, by the way, for letting it happen. And then Jesus made that famous statement. He said, if, if these do not cry out, the very stones, the rocks, would cry out the praises of God, my, my praises. And here's what we learned just a few days before the cross, that Jesus was so worthy of worship that if they did not do it, creation itself would have, creation itself would have as a stinging rebuke to mankind for not doing it. And one of the things I want you to know today is that you must realize Jesus is worthy 
of all of our worship. Can I tell you this? When we have a worship service here, what we do here is just a taste of what we'll do there. You know that, right? Like you know uh, what we do on Sundays here is just a, again, we, we don't understand all this, is just a, a pitiful, pathetic fraction of what we'll do in eternity. How can we stand and sit here and listen to the words sung and said about an almighty God? Listen, think with me for a moment. That has died for us. That has saved us. That has equipped us. That has blessed us. I want to say, how can you not raise a hand or shout an amen or shed a tear of appreciation? It is the joy of creation and heaven to do just that. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, preacher, that's not my personality. Can I tell you this? If your excuse for not worshiping is that's not my personality, your focus is on the wrong person. Your focus is on you, not him. It's not about your personality. Do you think you're going to get by with that in heaven? Oh, God, I'd worship you, but hey, it's just not my personality. It's not my gig. You say, well, it'll be better in heaven. Listen, I'm, I have a feeling if you're uncomfortable with it down here, it's, it's going to be embarrassingly uncomfortable there. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Can I just be honest? Not my personality either. It's not my personality either. I'm afraid it is more of our personalities than not because we all shout at certain things, right? Well, shout at a hefty percentage of us. We're good at shouting at ball games, right? Can I get an amen right there? One way or the other, we shout. So you say, well, I, you know, I don't shout at ball games. Well, you, you probably cry at a movie, right? Shout at a movie. You remember movies? Y'all remember movies? It's something a long time ago. I don't know. You used to go to, used to go, it's weird. You used to go to a separate building where they served you popcorn and drinks and you'd go watch television on a giant screen inside a room with other people. It's, I know it sounds strange now, but it's what we used to do. And occasionally you'd sit exactly next to somebody you'd never met before in your life. It's, tell your grandkids about it. They'll, they'll, they'll find it cute. I, I, I've seen people cry in movies. I've seen people shout movies. Josh and I were in a movie a couple years ago when a certain thing happened and the entire theater jumped up and started shouting, throwing popcorn in the air. It was awesome. It was awesome. Oh, we shout. We cry. We raise a hand. We just do it at the things we care See, when you get your focus on an almighty God, you lose sight of yourself because he is worthy. I read a fascinating study this week. You'll love it because you'll agree with me. That conversations rarely end when people want them to. As a matter of fact, do you know how often a conversation ends when you want it to end and the person you're talking to wants it to end. Do you know how often that happens? 2% of the time. 2%. Uh, National Academy of Sciences did, did a study. Listen, it's no better when you're talking to your loved ones. Get this. 
Researchers found participants incorrectly estimated their partner's desired conversation length, overestimated it, by 63%. This is your husband and wife I'm talking about. You say, they really like my story. Maybe not. Maybe not. According to the study, you normally go 63% too far, which means 2% of us agree it only ends on time that often, which means this, we, we don't stop soon enough. You know that phrase, uh, well, to make a long story short, use it and stick with it. Because we don't stop soon enough. But you know, with worship, we're stopping way too soon. In our praise with God, we stop too soon, 98% of the time. And listen, you've got to get in your mind. He is worthy of our worship. And here's what the Bible says. If you don't, creation will cry out as a rebuke to an almighty God. You said, I've never heard a rock. Well, it may be not that they're not crying out. It may be that we can't hear. You say, Cor- Corbin told me the other day, so preacher, I'm not you. I-, I get it. Corbin told me the other day, I have no worship boundaries during a song. Corbin said, you're just wandering over to other people's section over in a song because I kind of lose uh, my train of thought and get excited about a song we're singing. Hey, you may not be as happy, as clappy as me, but I'm going to tell you, Jesus is worthy of our worship. And listen, here's what he said before he went to the cross. He said, if, you, if these didn't, the stones would cry out, I do not want a rock having to take my place. You find a way to express yourself in worship. Third thing we find out heading to the cross is that he loves the loss. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, and again, to make a long story short, he weeps over Jerusalem. He's heartbroken because Jerusalem was the city of peace, but has turned a blind eye towards the prince of peace. And he weeps over their lost condition, their rejection of him. And we, when he's hanging on the cross, we know for sure that Jesus loved the lost because he gave his life for the lost. Like, I'm going to get that in a week. But we see it even before we get there, even while we're in the shadow, that his heart is breaking for those who are far from God. And hear me this morning. If you want a close relationship with Jesus, know this. He loves those who are far from him. His heart breaks, breaks over people. He wept over Jerusalem. If you want to be like him and you want to be close to him, your heart has to break what his heart breaks for. Those who are going to die and go to a Christless eternity. He loves the lost. Hey, the week before Easter, can I tell you, ask you, how much is your heart breaking for that person you care about that needs Jesus or needs church? How much have you wept for them in prayer? How much have you even prayed for them? How much have you pursued them? The character of Jesus is that he loved the law so much he died for us. When was the last time our heart broke enough just to pray for somebody who was lost? The fourth thing we learn, and I'm finished. The fourth thing we learn in the shadow of the cross is that the message has a mission. The message has a mission. 
I love how the triumphal entry closes out. It closes out with all the drama heading up to it. The palm branches, the praise, the rocks crying out, Jesus weeping. It closes out in simpler fashion. He was in the temple every day leading up to the cross, teaching and preaching the word. So much so the Pharisees were trying to kill him, but they could not because there was such power in the message he was delivering. Can I tell you this morning that the word and the message wasn't simply meant to entertain the crowd. A sermon about Jesus is not meant to just inform and give us information. It's not meant to just delight the crowd. The word had a mission, and the mission was to change the crowd. Here was the mission mission of the message. It was to make those people who were hearing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's the same thing we want out of the message today. That our job as individuals is help the church fulfill its mission with the message by serving and giving and sharing and helping and telling so the message can do what the message does, change lives. The message has a mission. I don't just preach just to entertain you on Sundays. I don't just preach so you can go home and feel good. We preach because we have a gospel that is the only power in the world to change a life for all of eternity. Close your Bibles, I'm finished. How many of you have ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? You ever seen the movie Groundhog Day, Bill Murray? Of course you have. Phil plays Phil Connors, a meteorologist, who's assigned to Punxsutawney Field, right, covering Groundhog Day. You know, you know the story. He gets, he gets in a loop where he has to repeat the day over and over again. But what we're never told is exactly how many times did Bill Murray's character relive the same day over and over. Did you know there are entire websites dedicated to figuring out how many days it took Bill Murray's character, how many days he relived it over and over. Uh, For example, here's some things they generally agree on. There were 38 days shown on the screen. All right, so start with that number. Connor states that he was stabbed, shot, poisoned, frozen, hung, electrocuted, and burned, but only one of those is depicted, so we'll throw in six more days for all of that. Also, he had a terrible, horrible feeling of malaise, so they estimate at least 20 days for that to kick in. Uh, Six months learning to throw cards in a top hat. You ever try to throw a card in a hat? He was really good at it, so they're saying that's half a year at least to do that. A hundred days watching the movie Heidi 2, two days watching Jeopardy long enough to uh, memorize it, six days stalking various town people in order to learn their lives well enough to account for their whereabouts and future relivings of the day. Another hundred days exploring the town, learning enough about Rita, his work colleague, to craft a perfect date. Ten years, not an exact science, but ten years mastering the art of making sculptures out of ice. If you remember that. Another 10 and a half years to master the piano. Because you remember he became an expert piano player. A dozen years to learn French fluently, which seems like a lot, but it kind of makes sense because uh, they point out there probably weren't a lot of French speakers in Puxatani. So it's going to take a while. 
26 days to learn enough to become an amateur chiropractor. Six weeks to plan the above-mentioned bank, bank robbery he had to do. Five days to get enough information to save a falling child. Another day to source a jack so he can change a tire. Two days to learn the Heimlich maneuver. And four days to find wrestling tickets. Now, this is just estimation. Some people estimate that he relived it for 10,000 years. Seems much. But I went with the conservative estimation that Groundhog Day took 34 years. 34 years. If you have nothing to do this afternoon, you can look it up and do the math yourself. Watch the movie and do the math yourself. Why, why 34 years? Because we were waiting for Phil Connor to become a changed man. It took 34 years for him to become a changed man. And I find that interesting because here's what we learn in the shadow of the cross, that the gospel can do it today. You don't need 34 years. You don't need a groundhog. The gospel can do it today. The question is, has the gospel changed you? If it has, you have a part in his plan you should be doing it. You're, he's worthy of our worship. You should worship. He loves the lost. How much do you? And the message has a mission. We ought to support the mission as much as we can and deliver the message as often as we can. I'll sum it up this way. Work, worship, weeping, witnessing pretty good plan for a child of God as we go into Easter week. Just stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed. And the question I'll ask you this morning is, are you 100% sure that Christ is in your life and heaven is your home? If you're watching online, Jeremy's got a, got a good word for you just now. Hang on. What a powerful gospel message this morning. I, th I think often for us, he here's what we do. We say, um, man, all of that sounds good. And I I'd love to come to Jesus, but I need to fix this in my life. And I need to change this. And I need to quit doing this. And um, I need to start doing this. And there are all those things that we feel like we've got to fix before we come to Jesus. And the truth is this, if we will make the choice make Jesus the Lord of our lives, He'll make the change. He'll help us become a better husband, a better wife. He'll help us become a better mother, a better father. He'll help us become the Christ follower that He created us to be. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, there's never been a time in your life when you made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, there is no better time than today. It involves you understanding that you're a sinner. Sin started in the Garden of Eden. Ever since then, all of us have been born with sin in our life. We have to be willing to admit that to God. We have to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried dead in a tomb, and on the third day, 
he rose again. That's what Easter's all about. And then we have to confess him as the Lord and Savior of our life. If you've never done that, there's no better time than today. And it starts with you just telling God this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And God, I'm sorry for my sin. Lord, I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried, and on the third day you rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell, so that I could be made right with you. I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that this morning for the very first time and you meant it, I want to invite you to connect with us. And it's really easy. We're going to drop a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. And if you'll click on that link, we're going to ask you for your, your name, your email address, and your cell phone number. We need to connect with you. We need to send you some information that'll help you get started on your faith journey with Christ. You are not in this alone. We want to walk alongside you and help you take next steps as a fully devoted follower of Jesus. It's been awesome to be together today. I can't wait for next week. It's going to be exciting. We've got some new worship music that we're going to sing. Some exciting things are going to happen. You don't want to miss it. And you don't want to watch it alone. Invite somebody to watch with you. Maybe have them over to your house to watch Easter Sunday with you. And we will see you next week. God bless you. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.